Welcome to the second season of the podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building. We'll hear from people from Black Forest Community Church who have been engaging in creative, bold, and fluid, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building, ministries that have inspired us. Our topic of discussion is love. Love in action, revolutionary love, radical love. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, people of faith, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Together, we are reading Love is the Way, Holding on to Hope in Troubling Times by Bishop Michael Curry, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in the U.S. This week's conversations are guided by chapters 9, The Real E Pluribus Unum, and 10, The Great Relationship Revival, as we are joined again by church members Art Navalta and Cindy Halsey. We have two scripture texts today that I will share. The first comes from the Hebrew Bible, from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 5. It's referred to on page 218 of our book that we're focusing on, Love is the Way, and it goes like this. Then God said to Moses, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And our second scripture text today comes from the New Testament, the letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 28, and it's referred to on page 202 of Love is the Way. The apostle Paul says to the people in Galatia, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Jesus Christ. These are holy and sacred words. Amen. I want to um, begin our time with showing respect and moving towards correcting the stories and practices that have erased indigenous people's history and culture and toward inviting and honoring that truth. Colonialism is a current and ongoing process in this nation. And I would like to create a space of mindfulness of our um, present participation in the genocide and ethnic cleansing and stolen land and forced removal um, to reflect the actions taken by colonizers. So today I am actually going to sing the singing bowl as a reminder of marking this moment. And name that we are residing on the land of the Ute and the Cheyenne and the Arapaho tribes here in Colorado Springs. The name of chapter nine, um, which we focused on this week is called the real E pluribus unum, meaning out of many one in reference to the ideals of this country 
Curry tells a lot of his own personal stories. Bishop Curry is the author of the book, Love is the Way, that we are reading. And in part, these, the storytelling that Curry does is an invitation to all of us to tell our own stories. And I know that we have talked a lot about telling our own personal stories here at Black Forest Community Church. But the idea is that true unity only comes out of our diverse individual stories. So in this chapter, he grounds his storytelling in this Galatian verse that we just heard of the Apostle Paul talking to the people in that particular community. And the verse points to a collective of non-binaries in some ways. It's not about one or the other, but it's about all of us. It is neither the loved or the enemy, but the collective. The verse about unity is about unity, but it's not about being the same, which I think is often misunderstood. So the phrase that I like to use is um, honoring our differences is more honorable than not honoring them, those differences at all. Between these two chapters, Curry, um, as we move into chapter 10, Curry speaks of um, marriage equality for the LGBTQ community, white supremacy, and violent acts against black and brown bodies, climate change, and the rights of indigenous people. In these two chapters, he literally touches on every cultural war going on right now. And he asks the question, how can love overcome what divides us and move us forward together? He tells the story of his experience with the Sioux people at Standing Rock in 2016 and the fight against putting in the pipeline through their reservation. The story, this story when I was reading it was vivid, but I also think it was vivid because I remember seeing pictures um, during that time period on Facebook and in our media. He talked about sacred ground and how the land is so important to the Sioux community and then how important it was for the group of activists with such diverse faiths um, that came to be with that community during the fight to save their land. In the Exodus verse, the story of God and Moses, it gives us a glimpse into what our faith calls us towards, this burning bush moment for Moses, when God says, take off your shoes, you're standing on sacred ground. The sacred ground was made holy, not because God was there, although that was probably pretty helpful, but because God made space for Moses to tell his story. So when Curry went to Standing Rock in 2016 to support the Sioux people, together they were all standing on sacred ground. And in those moments, in those days of being with each other, they overcame divides. The ground was made holy and sacred because in honoring their differences, they were actually honoring each other. 
the Sioux community leaders shared their sacred practices with fire and ritual. The Christians shared their, theirs with communal prayers. The secularists provided practice of marches and signs and protest songs. And the rabbis chanted sacred texts to the God of the Hebrew text. It was like they were all drawing from the same wellspring of life. It was true unity. Out of many, there was one. And so this morning, I want to open up the space for storytelling. Um, and I invited Art Navalta and Cindy Halsey, um, who are back with us. And so I want to just open it up. What stuck out for you in these chapters? Or how might you answer these questions? And so I wanted, maybe we can start with Art and see what he has to bring to this conversation. Good morning. Um, you know, it's not, to me, it's not just chapter nine or 10. Uh, really the whole book spoke to me and uh, spoke to me in, different ways actually. In many ways it's really more of a reminder or a rebuke of um, how I'm behaving uh, because uh, the book teaches about unconditional love, an active love, unity, and all of those kind of things. Yet I have struggled uh, with those issues really uh, for more than a year now, I guess, just because of the condition uh, of our country and the things that I see happening. It really saddens me, it angers me. You know, being a, a minority also, there are things that uh, I can go back on that sometimes uh, when it was happening or when it is happening, I don't pay too much attention. Um, I really don't go to the race card uh, issue uh, in many ways, but let me just give you a, uh, an example, a practical example, at least uh, uh, with my experience. You know, I, I could be in a car shop or anywhere and somebody would say, hey, I noticed that you have an accent and where are you from? What is that about? I, I usually do not take offense and I just continue on to tell them my story, where I came from and those kind of things. Uh, actually, Mona gets irritated when people start going there with me as we are just casually talking. But it made me reflect too that um, Really, is that something that I need to explain to people? Uh, they're not mean, maybe they're just curious. That's, that's how I've always taken that. But then again, you know, with the current situation that our country is going through, you know, I, I begin to question whether um, there is an in-depth or unsaid uh, bias against people of different race or color or orientation for that matter. So I 
I, I really, this is more of a confession that I struggle with that at the moment. And um, I always try to remind myself that regardless, I need to act out of kindness, not out of anger. Um, the reminder to me throughout the book and as I read this is the call for unity and the call to practice love regardless uh, of what is in front of us. So that's, that's where I, um, my mind goes and my heart goes when I think about and when I read through the book, when I see my dog come up to any person with a wagging tail, I always say that is my, uh, my model. It's so true. We should all be like dogs. Yeah. Yes. Well, because she, she, she would wag that tail, lick you or whatever she does without questioning what you're, where you came from. Do you have an accent or not? Why is your color green or blue or black? Nothing, nothing like that. So it's just a, an inspiration to me. Maybe God is working out things through another creature showing me how better I can improve or come up to that standard of really loving actively. Anyway, that's, that's some of the thoughts that come to mind. Thank you, Art. You know, I have to tell you um, in response to that, a really funny story. One time when I was in college, I was working at, at this tiny little Italian restaurant and um, one of the, and I, you know, I had been like, you know, at the beach. And so I was like four times darker than I am now, but um, someone came up to me or one of the people that I was serving was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. You speak such great English. Um, <laughs> I know, isn't that hilarious? That's one of my favorite. Um, that's one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, I don't even know Italian. Um, so the um, the other piece, um, I, I like where you went with this because as, as I was writing um, this sort of image of Curry um, on the reservation with this these diverse leaders and how beautiful it was, and they were all bringing their rituals and sacred. Um, it sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds like heaven on earth, the perfect space. But um, for me personally, in the spirit of confessions, um, I am I get so passionate about um, um, those people that are on the margins or those people that are often invisible in our society that I actually think that I don't make room for all of the stories. I get so like it gets so stuck in my heart that I can't um, make the space. And so um, as I was reading that, I was thinking about how can I make better space for these conversations and for people to have their own personal story. And because my anger boils up also. So I was just, um, as you were telling your piece, I was sort of thinking about how I get, I get angry too. And, um, and that this, this, this 
this book was a reminder of how can how can I do that better? Um, because I think the more that we can figure out how to do that better. Um, and I even think I do it in the faith community, in our church, is sometimes I, I shut down um, topics or conversations where we're not able to really fully live into that space and be bring our diverse individual histories and stories. And so thank you for offering that offering that up. Cindy, what are your thoughts on these chapters? Good morning. So hey, I I in a really different way because of course none of these things occurred to me while I was thinking about this chapter chapters so hear me out for a minute so I read this, these chapters you know do I even have to love my neighbor and I, I I kind of I got annoyed and kind of like I can't get into this and this is all great out in out in Siri, but how do you really make this happen? And so I read the two chapters and I just sort of let that sink in for a little bit. And so I decided to try to answer this question. Do I have to love even my enemy that you pose? And I think everyone would agree the answer as Christians is yes. Um, but the, the question becomes not so much is the answer yes or no, but how to how to make it actually happen. And I, I don't have an answer for that. So that led me down a rabbit hole of looking up a lot of definitions and trying to figure out exactly how to make it work for me. So I started with, you know, the question, do I have to love my enemy? And I looked up love and, you know, one assumes Curry is talking about agape love that we talked about in earlier chapters. It says selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional love. Okay, so that's like not a super high standard to make or anything. And then I looked up who's my enemy. And it says a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. And that struck me because that's my struggle right now is there's a lot of people in the world that I'll just be super honest that make me crazy because um I can't, I can't for the life of me understand where they're coming from. I'll take an example just to hopefully not piss off too many people, but about masks, people, masks, masks and vaccines and people who don't want to wear them or who think COVID is a, a fraud or who think the vaccine is going to give them the disease. And I've dealt with a lot of people like that. And I, I'm having a hard time loving those folks. So I moved on. So, so those are people who are actively opposed or hostile to a belief that I have. So that's who I'm looking at as my enemy right now. And then Curry says, we need to leave behind contempt. Contempt is the belief that the person who disagrees with you isn't just wrong, but worthless. So I thought, well, I don't necessarily think these people are worthless. What does is, what is contempt really mean? So I looked that up. The feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration worthless or deserving scorn. So scorn fits into how I feel a little bit better. So all the time I'm going, well, this is great. I'm, I need to love these people who I think are dumb and I don't know how to get there. So Curry says to love my brothers and sisters does not mean we have to agree, but maybe agreeing to love is the greatest agreement. And so that I was like, mm. so that means 
I can make all the effort I want to love somebody, but if they don't agree to love me back, well, then we're at an impasse again. So still wondering what I'm supposed to do with that. In the middle of all this, I picked up a book from last, uh, someone mentioned this woman, Barbara Brown Taylor, last week. And so I picked up a book she wrote called Holy Envy. And she looks at the five, uh, the five major religions in the world. And in one of them, she, she makes the comment that what we do matters more than what we say we believe. And that really resonated with me and really stuck with me with this whole, you know, do I believe I have to love my enemy? Well, yes, I believe. But what really matters is what do I do about it? So then I decided I need to work on this whole I have to love people that I don't consider lovable. And so that led me down, you know, God says the greatest commandment to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, who's our neighbor? I read the Good Samaritan story. And at the end of it, Jesus is like, so who, who was his, who, what did he say? Which of these three was the neighbor? The answer kind of threw me. It's not that I haven't heard it before, but his answer was the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, yes, go and do likewise. And that led me down, you know, what exactly is mercy? Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So all of this has got me thinking about love and neighbors and mercy and people who don't believe the things I believe. And I don't have any answers. I just know that it's an area that I have a whole lot of work to do in. I don't know where to go from there because I don't know how to make it happen. Uh, Marta, uh, if we have time, just one more story. Um, and it's in the same uh, vein as uh, Cindy's talking about how do you show that love when there are so many things that are opposed to uh, your beliefs or what's going on right now. Um, and this is about Mona. I can talk about her. She's not here with me right now. <laughs> not that it matters, but- That's uh, perfect. That's yeah. the best time to talk about her. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, she has this friend that they are so polarized and opposite as far as their uh, political uh, views, you know, and based on everything that's gone on, they are just day and night. But I see Mona, she continues to nurture and connects with this person. And actually it annoys me, but she does. I'm like, leave it alone. That's just me talking, but here she is trying really hard to connect with this person. And very recently, she even made a uh, blueberry bunt cake it's really really good and she said i'm going to take it to this friend her name is vicky and because i know she's mad at me so i just kind of shrugged my shoulder and didn't say anything inside me i guess what i'm saying is oh, okay good luck with that but anyway in retrospect i am thinking as i read the book also and how we can continue to show love. I think just her gesture of making a cake 
or someone that, that you haven't been so close with is an act of love. So to me, that is uh, a lesson and maybe a simple gesture or an active show of love when you have difficulty. Yes. Yes, it is. It is a form of, you know, building some kind of bridge across divides. And as I think about both Cindy and Art's comments today, one of the things that I think about is that um, particularly Cindy's question around, I don't, I don't have the answer. Um, but, you know, faith is, um, faith doesn't actually have answers and certainty, having certainty or having an answer to those questions um, is actually the opposite of having faith. And so as we gather um, here this morning and we are um, learning um, and together in this beloved community about faith and about God, we are actually doing exactly what we are called to do as Christians, which is to come together with these subjects and talk about them and share and confess and not have all the answers to the questions. But um, I think, you know, just as making a bunk cake is a simple um, act of love, coming together in this space and asking those questions without any answers is also just a simple act of love. And so I'm grateful. Um, thank you, Art and Cindy, for um, reading this book with us, first of all, um, and, and coming and sharing your thoughts on it. This idea of personal story and and how we share those stories has been something that has really come <clears throat> come to the forefront I think in all of our conversations through this book and it's it's so important and I think that that's really one of those pieces that Curry is asking us to do asking us to listen to one another to really see the humanity in the divine in each each person at the end of Curry's book, he gives a love and action daily planner. The planner is based on the Benedictine monks and their practice of daily work. The idea is to grow closer to God who is love. So each week we wanted to share a category of action and this week we will send you off with the action of engaging and giving back. We invite you to share your resources of time, money or attention with others. You might ask, where will my presence be most healing? What resources do I have to offer those in need? Examples might include committing to a monthly nonprofit, donation, tithing, 10% of your income to give to others, or signing up to volunteer with a local organization. So now, my friends, um, go now in peace. Amen. Amen. Next week, we will hear from Leslie Sheely and Sharon Grady on the final chapters of Love is the Way, Chapter 11, The Still More Excellent Way, and Chapter 12, Hope, Help, and Healing. We'll also get a little sneak peek of what's up for Season 3 of the podcast, which kicks off on February 24. We hope you will join us again. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at Black Forest Community Church, United Church of Christ. 
and message us to learn how you can be a part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or a regular commitment with as little as $1 a month. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. Thank you to all those people that support and listen. We could not do this without you.